Welcome to the Christian Coach Podcast. We are here as a podcast uh, with a mission to serve coaches through conversations so that they can lead like Jesus. I'm Chad Simpson. I'm joined by my co-host, Gian Lemmy. Hey, Chad. Hey, Gian. It's uh, so good to, to be here. Happy New Year to you and all of our listeners. And uh, we are so excited. I'm jacked up about today's interview. We got Jeff Clark coming on the, the podcast today. Jeff Clark's in his 15th year as the associate head basketball coach at Indiana Wesleyan University. And man, they have a dynasty going. They've won three national championships. And for 13 straight years, they've been in the top six in the NAIA. Chad, I really enjoyed this interview. Um, one of the topics that he will talk about is the dangers of comparing yourself to others when you've been an assistant coach for, very, for a long period of time. He's been there for 15 years as the associate head coach. I've been here at Liberty for eight years, and I can definitely relate to staying, truth, staying true to God's will and God's plan when others think that you should be moving on to, to greener pastures, as people say. Yeah. And uh, another thing that I'll highlight at the start is just their program philosophy of I am third is taken straight out of scripture in uh, Philippians 2. And uh, they talk a lot within their program about being fearless. And just for me doing these, you know, this is, uh, we've done 20 plus episodes and uh, they're really speaking to me. And just out of this episode uh, and doing my research on Jeff, talking about fearless, it really created my one word for the year and I'm copying him and just using fearless. I just want to be fearless uh, in all aspects as well. But uh, coach, we just cannot wait for you to hear more about Jeff. He's got a great heart and a lot of wisdom. And let's get into this interview right now. Jeff Clark, it's so good to have you on the Christian Coach Podcast. Um, thankful for your time and just want to hear right from you on uh, what does it mean to you to be a Christian coach? Yeah, thanks, Chad, for having me. I, I love what you guys are doing here. And, and I think for me, you just got to start with Christ. Um, so much of leadership and coaching, I think, think is creating a flourishing environment. And what intrigues me so much about Christ is, uh, well, the world seems to view flourishing just as, as self-confidence or self-fulfillment when you look at his life, really flourishing personally doesn't happen unless you're helping someone else flourish. So for me, um, that's a lot of what a Christian coach does is try to position and influence others so they grow and they flourish. Um, and that's really what ultimately when I started to see basketball that way, what drove me into coaching and the coaches that I see that uh, follow Christ most closely make a habit of, of helping other people go to new levels. We all have these uh, defining moments in our life and uh, kind of pivotal times. And, and for you, it sounded like it came uh, your senior year of college as you're taking a finance test. Could you just share how that moment uh, played a role in, in your coaching journey? <laughs> You've done some research because I don't know where you came across that story, but you're, you're right. And I, and I think that was very form foundational for me in, in what I chose to do. So I, I was a junior in college. Um, I love basketball more than anything else, but I wasn't that great. And it had been a frustrating experience because the thing I loved the most, uh, I was trying to find my identity in was not going the way I wanted. Uh, so I was frustrated and my plan was to pursue myself. Uh, I was studying finance and I wanted to go make as much money as possible and kind of 
show the game that I would, didn't need it, uh, whatever that means. Um, and I'm in this finance class and it's, a, it's an upper level uh, test. And the last question on the test was, if there was anyone in this class you would hire, who would it be? Um, well, I get an email from the professor say, hey, Jeff, I want to meet with you. Could you come to my office? And I didn't know what to expect. And he, he called me in. He said, hey, I, first, I want you to know um, you're the only person who aced the test. Congratulations. And I was like, wow, thank you. And he said, and every person in that class picked you that they would hire. Uh, you have a bright future in analyzing financial statements. Um, and he said it, obviously, as encouragement. Yeah. Uh, he said it to push me forward. But God spoke to me in that moment so clearly. Um, I don't know if I could say it better than that, but just said, Jeff, that's not the compliment I want you to chase. Um, not that it's a bad compliment, not that I, there's something wrong for, for others to pursue that compliment. But for me, I knew in my heart, um, my life was not going to be about financial statements and that my calling was not in finance. And, and I walked out of the office, not knowing what I was going to do, but just knowing that it was something different that I was not planning. And that kind of started me on a different direction. And from there, it seemed that uh, you you found yourself over uh, maybe as a graduate assistant with uh, Indiana Wesleyan and Coach Greg Tonegal. He's been the head coach there for 16 years, and we can see from the distance the the success. You know, three national championships, top six in the NAI every year for the past 13, I believe. And uh, but what makes that coach so special? Yeah, to to, to catch you up, what happened was I I. Uh that summer I went on a mission trip with athletes in action. Um, and I was with guys who remain dear friends, Omar Mance. He's a head coach at Trevecca Nazarene, Neil Young. He's at Covenant college, Artie Culver. He works for the Wisconsin herd. And I was for the first time just around men who loved Christ more than the game. And it just gave me a new vision for what could happen with the thing I love the most. And my senior year, I, it was just a joy to play with a, with the proper, um, foundation for what what matters most where's my identity being found so then when I through that I decided to be going to coaching and I just started looking around what does it look like to to partner with someone who's maybe ahead of me that I could learn from and just through some different circumstances came across Indiana Wesleyan uh, their assistant at the time Jake Nelp was a dear friend of mine he had coached for me I respected him a lot um, and they were starting the program and I volunteered for a year and was fortunate to move into full-time role and quickly found uh, you know, the thing about Coach Tonegal, um, he's just an amazing leader. And, and I think it goes down to, um, I don't know if you've ever read the book, Good to Great. Uh, it's by Jim Collins. It's a yeah. just a huge leadership book. And, and he basically says the, the thing that separated these catalytic leaders were they both had professional drive, but personal humility. And I think it's just an amazing way to describe Greg. I mean, he, he is an uh, uh, amazing competitor. He's very driven. He, he wants to build something. Obviously, as you can see through the success of our program, I think in the last seven years, the last we looked, uh, you look across college basketball, um, Gonzaga's number one in wins, Indiana Wesleyan number two, I think Kansas three and Duke four. So wow. there's been a high level of success that stems from his drive, but also he's just a, a humble man at his core. So I read that book and I see the way that they define these corporate leaders who was having success that went throughout an organization and I see those characteristics in Greg and he's he's passionate about his faith I mean he pursues Christ um with his whole heart uh so those are the things that I think really separate him and I think the more you get to know him the more you see those things are that's who he really is mm. and 
it speaks a lot to you and, and your character to see that you've stood by his side here for 15 years or so. And uh, I, I um, played tennis at Liberty, so I followed their basketball program, just seeing Brad Soucy, who's been with Coach McKay since 1995, and just that kind of commitment to, to stand by another coach's side and the friendship, the trust, the support. But do you believe that some coaches are called to, to continue as assistants where some is, are called more to, to take that leader, leadership role? Uh, you know, I've heard co- great things about Coach Susie. I don't, I don't know him. And I, c- I probably can only speak to my own experience here. Yeah. So um, when I look back, I think where I've missed it the most in calling, um, what happens to me is I'll start to compare. Um, I look across college basketball. I look at the order of progression professionally, and I start to compare. And what I always do is, I compare my weaknesses to someone else's strengths. So if I do that with Greg, man, I'm a disaster compared to the areas where he's strong and he's a remarkable leader. So then what I start to do is I start to, to copy, right? Man, it's working for him and I feel inadequate. So then I just start to copy what other coaches do. And I think this happens professionally. We, For me, I get into coaching. I see this order of progression, assistant coach, head coach, move up the ladder, ladder uh, end up as the head coach of Duke, right? Like when I started, that's kind of what I thought was going to happen. But I guess what I've learned over time is as my mind shifts from either comparing or copying, and I really push into the call that God has on my life, and that's what drives me, I think I learn more about who I'm made to be, and I live more fully into that. And personally, um, my call is way less about a position or even a professional hierarchy. And it's more about people. Like I, over time, I just think God has called me to specific people. Um, even more than coaching basketball, you know, if I looked at the, my life, where does coaching basketball rank in terms of the things that I'm, uh, most give me the most meaning it's not in the top couple, you know, but I do love what I do. Uh, I certainly feel called to Greg and, and other people. Um, and I, I guess from my experience, just continuing to push into what is God calling me to next every step along the way, whether that's an opportunity that comes or not, to really try to discern what does God have for me next has led me to remain as an assistant coach for 15 years. Maybe not what I would have planned um, when I started. Probably wouldn't have said, hey, at this age, you'll, you'll be doing this. I think there was a period of time in my life where I was critical of myself because I would say, I don't know any assistant coaches that are 37 that I respect. So I must be doing something wrong. Um, but over time, like, you no, know, the, the more I've pushed in and followed where God is leading, which has kept me in my seat, uh, the more my life and I think my leadership and everything around me has gone to new levels. So for me, it's, it's more of an individual thing more than, hey, you're called to be an assistant. It's more let's always discern what is God doing? Who is he doing it with? Where is he moving? And let's try to follow that rather than just look at the way the world views the professional hierarchy and, and follow that pattern. I think it's, it's crazy that we would uh, live our lives chasing, chasing what other people are saying or copying this other path. But I feel true success is, is just doing the work that the Lord has given us. And um, it seems like you're doing that. And yeah, I love, you, go ahead. It says in scripture, like the, the, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is, is stronger than human strength. Um, and it's so natural for me to look to human wisdom and strength 
in every decision I make and to, to pattern my life around that. But I think scripture is true. I, I think that's right what it says. So to try to live into God's wisdom and God's strength, I think is a different path completely. You alluded to the people that you get to be a part of their life and invest in. And um, I'm curious, what have you done as a coach that has made the biggest impact on, on you know, seeing a 17-year-old recruit and then sending them out as a 22-year-old ready to go, go change the world and lead a family? But what's the, been the biggest thing that, that you've done that you see um, really help your student athletes? This is going to sound uh, like a Sunday school answer, but I think pray, you know, okay. like I think we, we really commit to praying for our athletes. We, we pray from the start of recruiting all the way through when they leave. Um, and I think that opens up opportunity for, for God to do significant stuff that's beyond our human understanding. Um, and the way we've seen prayer come to life is as we go to God and not just say, God, let us tell you, you what we think should happen with this player. It's more, no, what, what are you saying? What do, what do you want for this person? Um, how can we lead them better? What do you have for them that we could help them live into? Who have, who have you designed them to be and how can we position them for that? Um, we've just seen God take players to new levels through that. And that's really one of the joys of coaching is, you know, we, we really put God first and we try to pursue him. Um, and then to follow God's lead in that, and then to see over four years how that comes to life is, is really a joy. Can you share, I believe I heard that there was a prayer that you guys um, pray very often with your team and, and hope that they carry with them um, as they leave. Is there a, a prayer that you have? Well, F Philippians 2 drives um, a lot of what we do. And there's two parts of Philippians 2 that we talk about a lot. Is One is um, to be one in spirit and purpose. And the second is to have the attitude of Christ. Um, and that's really hard with a bunch of competitive driven people who love the game. I mean, we're, we're playing at a high level. We're, um, we're not trying to be the 16 nicest guys. You know, we're not trying to just go who, who goes to church the most let's recruit those guys. No, we're trying to win at a high level. Um, so to, to be one in spirit and purpose and have the attitude of Christ can be a challenge, but to have that end game and to, to pursue that and to pray that into existence. Um, it, it's been really remarkable to see God bring that to life. And as you talk about Philippians 2, I just wanted to read a couple of the verses. I'm going to read 3 through 7. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of the servant. Can you talk to me about how these verses help form your guys' program philosophy? I am third. Yeah, so... We've been, do, we've been in that passage for 15 years, mm -hmm. 16 years, and it's, it still blows my mind every year the depth it goes to. And here's something we're learning about Christ's humility. So uh, two things that pop to me there um, that blow my mind almost as we compare Christ's version of humility versus what we hear from the world. So in those passages, Christ doesn't deny that he was God. It actually proclaims he was. So, so Christ knew exactly who he was created to be. Now, what did he do with that? It says he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Christ's expression of humility was not privately banishing all proud thoughts or not saying, no, I'm not very good. No, he knew who God the Father created him to be. Now he pointed that at other people in a public expression. So we start to say, well, what does 
public assertive humility look like? What do actively humble acts look like where we take who God has made us and we point those at others to elevate them? Um, that's a part of Christ's life that we see time and time again as we read the gospels. And, and part of what we're trying to do as, as Christian coaches, when I talk about Greg's humility, that's what I'm talking about. It's not if you ask him if he's a good coach, he says, no, I'm no good. No, he, he actually takes how he's gifted and he points it at our players to try to elevate them. Um, and I think that's a great model for us as coaches to follow. And for, for Christ to, to serve the least of these, you know, um, I, I see on your roster, I see seven managers um, <laughs> on your roster there. And I feel a good, good testament of, of a Christian coaches is how we treat the manager on the team um, or, or the uh, athletic trainers. But just curious, how does your staff, do you, do you guys develop your managers the same as your student athletes? What role do they play in your program? Oh, they're huge. I mean, one of the, one of the joys is you go to a wedding and there's always managers in the wedding party. And um, this started with Ethan Whaley. He was a former assistant of ours. who's the women's coach now. David Osborne now is assistant coach. He's just, it's remarkable uh, the culture the managers have. And, and again, it's I am third. Put, put God first and truly pursue him. Serve others second. Put yourself third. And there's nobody in our program that embodies that more than our managers do. So they have a significant place in our locker room. It's not just, hey, they're there to make the players happy. No, they're learning what I am third leadership means, maybe to a, to a degree that, that players don't understand because all they do is serve. Um, so there's a culture in place. Uh, it's really fun to see those guys elevate in leadership. Uh, and this comes out in different ways. So we've had senior managers who are basically coaching because that's the way they're gifted and what they're passionate about. We have other senior leaders uh, who are managers who are running a lot of operations. And it, it's more as in this program, if you truly put God first and other second, you're elevated. Um, and as you get elevated, you get positioned to do what you do best and what you're passionate for. And the, the impact that our managers make every year in our program is remarkable. Um, we've been ranked number one in the country in basketball. I would promise you, if you put our managerial staff against anyone else in the country, they would outdistance the country more than our basketball team does. That's awesome. Um, I love that. And uh, I'm just thinking about some of our listeners um, who are at a public school. Maybe they're kind of thinking in the back of their mind, all right, Jeff, this is easy. You're at Indiana Wesleyan, a Christian school. But yeah. I don't know if you've ever thought, can I translate this I am third mentality into a public school? If you ever had, had that opportunity where you're forced, to, all right, you cannot talk about a Bible verse or Christ, but how do you take this philosophy that's so deep in your heart and uh, take that into the secular realm? Yeah, we, we're obsessed with this question. Um, you know, we really think that even those who are passionate about Christ maybe miss discipleship, and they think discipleship is all about the dissemination of information rather than the transfer of spiritual power and authority. So uh, we would say you can't give away something you first don't possess yourself. So, so often, if we want to disciple someone, we say, okay, what Bible study can I give them? And that's really important. But we think first, it's about the pursuit of God. And then as he does things in our life, we can pass that on to others. Um, so that can happen without just saying, hey, in chapter four of John, it says this. Um, there's deeper ways to do this. And this is honestly, from our program, this has come to life more in the business world and in other leadership positions than basketball. Yeah, we, we had a, a local business guy who, um, his name's Trent Daly, amazing guy, re leading a killer business. He came alongside our program. 
Um, he really had a, a personal transformation for Christ. And he said, how do we multiply this into new places and, and started this endowment called the greater endowment. And the whole purpose is to redefine greatness and leadership. What does it truly mean to put Christ first in leadership in any area? And it, there's, there's been different college basketball ramifications of this. Neil Young is a guy who is kind of on the front end of this at Covenant College, but then into business, um, we've just seen business leaders who have said, hey, I'm going to start pursuing Christ and seeing how that translates through my business. And it's been amazing to see, uh, you know, research being done and proven that as a leader becomes more Christ-like, there are implications throughout the organization he leads. Um, so it, it does look different in, in every context. It's probably not as easy certainly would never suggest that it is in a, in a different context. There's different factors you're working against. There's different um, forces. Uh, but, but I think of um, some Christian coaches I know, uh, Boomer Roberts at Purdue Northwest is a, is a coach that's just doing some remarkable things for Christ in an environment where Christ isn't there. Uh, so you see it happening. I might not be the expert in, in, how it happens, but but I am absolutely convinced that there are elements of the I am third life that would translate to any leadership position. And where else um, within your program do, do you guys see this I am third mentality other than maybe uh, talking about Bible verses? Um, where else are you guys implementing that um, into your into your program? Well, it's it's really it drives everything. So. I'll give you a you know practical example. When we teach offense, um, it used to be, okay, we're a motion offense. We run these plays. Well, now we've flipped that completely. And there's really two things that drive our offense. One is I am third. The other is fearless. So every time you come across half court, how are you trying to create a shot for your teammate? Um, every time you catch the ball, how do you have a fearless mentality? Well, as you do those two things, the offense rises. Um, if you have five guys on the court who are doing those two gospel things, you can run anything you want and you're going to have success. So in the last seven years, we've led the country in points and assists, and we're really not running a lot of plays. And often early in the year, this year's an exception, we struggle a little bit offensively because we're trying to bring these things to life, not the system, but the mentality. These gospel centered principles that we think God has given for our offense, but that's just not just offense. That's every part of our program. We're first putting God in there and asking him what he wants to do. And I, I think that's really key for what we call I am third leadership. Um, we see a distinction between ethics based leadership and spirit led leadership. Um, and high morals and ethics are really important, uh, but it's, it's limiting. Uh, we think there's another level when God truly is first. It's not just, hey, put others second and good things happen. No, really put God first in every part of your program. Put others second and put yourself in last place. And, and we think that actually drives the results in our program, not because God loves us more because we pray more. Like we would never say that. Um, but more, we're trying to align our program and every aspect of it with the kingdom. Um, because we think that's the way the world meant to be. You you talked about Jim Collins. Curious, who, who else has has really influenced uh, your your kingdom mindset 
and coaching? Are there any books or resources that, that you would recommend for a young coach just starting out trying to figure out, I love Jesus, I love my sport, now what do I do? <laughs> I hate to even say this, but like the Gospels, um, man, love just spending time contemplating and meditating on Jesus's life and what it has to do with coaching. Um, I just think it's so underrated. It seems like there's just, even for those who love Christ and a version to scripture. Uh, and when you look back over the most catalytic moments in the life of our program, it's been when the word has come to life uh, and translated into our program. Um, again, not like, Hey guys, I read John five, go read that. And let's, let me give you three bullet points. Like that can happen, but it's more like, no, the word is coming to life and, and let's reorient something in our program around that. Uh, so I hate to avoid the question, but just more time in the gospels um, and truly trying to understand who is Christ and, and what does he have to do with what I do? I'm right there with you just kind of battling, you know, there's so much information on social media and, and podcasts and, and books. And uh, so far, I just coming back to the simplicity. I appreciate hearing you say, what do you do special with your team? You pray, you know, what, what do you do to grow? Read, read the gospels. Um, so I'm thankful for that. Um, and just hearing the word fearless, that's uh, really spoke to me as well. Uh, just a lot of anxiety going around in, in the world right now, but um, just for you to be fearless, um, do you have, do you have as a father, a husband, a coach, do you have something that you really have to preach to yourself on, on, uh, you know, Jeff, be fearless in this area? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, fearless is a concept that is one of Greg's biggest things, you know, like that's how he leads. That's, and it's been transformative in my life. Um, transparently, here's the way it's right now. The biggest fear I have is that I'm going to spend a lot of time investing in other people's kids and no one's going to invest in mine. And I, again, like so often as I look back over my life, these things that get put in my head that lead to fear, they're not based in reality. Like I have no reason I have young kids. I have no reason to think that's going to be the case, but that is on my mind every morning when I wake up, where's that fear come from? I don't know, but I got to surrender that to Christ because, uh, that's not adding value to my life or my parenting or anything. When I'm driven by that fear, um, it doesn't help in any way, but, but right now that's the greatest fear that I'm dealing with. Uh, and again, I don't have any idea where it's coming from or why it's there, but, um, it's right on the edge of my mind. I'm in the, I'm in the same boat. Do you have any ideas on, you know, for that coach really wrestling with the, the life at home versus life at work? Do you have any advice or any things that you've seen uh, in, in success to, um, to help with that? Yeah, I, I go back to just talking about calling. Um, when I am most driven by comparison and copying, what I find is I'm never present where I'm at. So when I'm at home, I'm thinking about work. When I'm at work, I'm thinking about home. And I always feel like I'm playing catch up and I'm not doing a good enough job. Um, man, when I'm in that sweet spot, when I know that Christ is first, I am living the life he wants me to live. I know who I am and I'm just going for it. Uh, that's when I find the most traction, right? And now all of a sudden, family is going to come before work. I mean, but 
when I'm at work, the, the amount I get done when I'm at home, the focus I have, um, I just have more capacity to live fully into the moment when I'm living fully into my calling. Mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't happen perfectly. I get too caught up in these other things too often, but that's what's translated the most for me personally in those areas. Jeff, thank you so much for sharing. Uh, it's been it's been an honor just to hear from you. I wish we we could go for another hour, and, <laughs> but I just want to be respectful of your time. You're sitting six and zero right now at the time of this recording. You got to go prepare for some practice. You guys keep keep rising, but um, just want to end with the question: of How can we be praying for you right now? Oh, I love that question. Um, I I would just say that God continues to be first. You know, I I find in my own life doesn't matter how long I pursue Christ and how faithful he is when I'm pursuing him. I just have this tendency to get off track and start to focus on success, on winning, on my own resume, on paying too much attention to my fear, on uh, all these other things. Um, and then I just get, keep getting pulled back to, no, God first, others second, myself third. And I, I wish that I was just at this place where that was second nature and it just was how I live, but that's just not the reality. So prayer for a, a zeal and a commitment and passion to continue to live that way, no matter what comes. Let's pray. Lord, we, we just bow down before you and we call on your name and you're the name above every other name. And uh, we're just thankful for this time that we could connect here by zoom. And God, thanks so much just for, for Jeff, for his ministry there at Indiana Wesleyan. And we just lift him up right now and just pray that you'll give him that, that zeal that commitment, that passion uh, to just keep you first. Uh, and from there, he would just overflow into um, the lives of everybody around him, his family, uh, his students, uh, other coworkers, uh, help him just share that, that love that uh, you bestowed on us. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Chad, phenomenal interview with Coach Jeff Clark. Um, one of the things that I highlighted in my notes while listening to it was how he is intentional in praying for his players individually. I read a book recently, The Circle Maker by Mark Batterson, and it really reminded me of the importance of making, like circling your players' names individually and asking God to enter that circle with you for you to battle for, you know, for each individual student and their needs at that specific date. Yeah, I love that book. I uh, I read it about a year ago, and I've had a few moments of just walking walking circles around uh, our tennis courts, just praying for our players. Um, but I love just the simplicity. Uh, you know, what's he do for his players? He prays for them. How's he going to grow as a coach? He studies the Gospels. You know, it's not not rocket science. We don't have to overcomplicate things. We're just keeping things simple. And one other quote that he shared that I really enjoyed was he was talking about coaching and leadership and, and discipleship. And he said, it's not a, a dissemination of information, rather a transference of authority. And uh, I, I really love that. It's not just give them a, a book, give them a quote. It's more just walking with them and helping them become the, the leader as they, they carry on in their, in their lives. But uh, Coach, we, we hope you have a, a great start to 2021. Uh, join me and Gian. We just want to make this the, the greatest year ever, uh, a year of impact of influence, um, of making disciples right where we're at. And uh, we end every episode this way and we'll continue. But just remember the mission field is right where you're at. <laughs>